0: Everybody needs money. That's why they call it money.
1: The best in life are free. But you can give them to the birds and bees. I need From Fool Global Headquarters, this is Motley Fool Money. Welcome to Motley Fool Money. Thanks for being here. I'm your host, Chris Hill and joining me in studio this week from Motley Fool One, Jason Moser, from Motley Fool Income Investor, James Hurley. And for million dollar portfolio, Mister Ron Gross. Good to see you guys. How you hey, doing? Chris. How you doing Chris? We will break down the latest earnings from restaurant stocks, entertainment stocks, and more. We've got the number one stock of the 1990s retiring from the public markets. We'll dig into that. And as always, we've got a few stocks on our radar. But we begin this week once again with the biggest public company of all, and that is Apple. Hedge fund manager David Einhorn sued Apple in federal court this week, saying management needs to do more to unlock shareholder value. Since Apple has more than $137 billion in cash on the balance sheet, Einhorn is pushing for preferred shares of stock with a 4% dividend. So, I turn, of course, to our dividend guy, James Early. Um, you know Einhorn's a guy with a good track record uh, he owns a good chunk of Apple stock does he have a valid point here or is this sort of saber rattling
2: well saber rattling but 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 to a point I mean the best thing Chris is this is bringing everything to a head like a, like a hot rag on a zit um, this this <laughs> Apple does have too much cash yeah. uh, the lawsuit is a little bit weird you like that don't you um, the, the the idea is that it, with these preferred shares it could somehow unlock more value or, or a greater price for, for Apple um, but, but the problem Problem is, these are not regular Apple shares; these are preferred shares. So, so, preferred stock. So, it's going to be a little bit different. I'm not sure uh, in terms of the financial engineering argument how, how strong a case Einhorn has, but certainly Apple's responding, and that's what we want to see here.
1: Yeah, and Ron, uh, to that point, part of Apple's response, they put out a press release afterwards and said, "Hey, look, last year we came out with a plan saying we're going to return $45 billion to shareholders over the next three years, and as of next week, we're $10 billion into that." Yeah, which is true. So
0: they are making good headway there. And what Einhorn wants is a little convoluted, so makes for great radio but the point is Apple was trying to actually do something that is shareholder friendly which says we can't issue blank check preferred stock without shareholder approval which as a former activist investor I like to see because companies can often use blank check preferred as kind of a method to thwart acquisition candidates it's like a poison pill but a little bit different um, Einhorn doesn't want to see that einhorn wants it, 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 it there he wants to make sure you know that the company can issue preferred stock whenever it wants he doesn't he doesn't want it to be more difficult than it needs to be. I am not. I think he's barking up the wrong tree. I think Apple's going to return capital uh,
1: appropriately to shareholders. Jason, what about that? What is the best way in your mind for Apple specifically to return shareholder value? Is it through stock buybacks? Is it through greater dividends or a big, splashy acquisition of some sort?
3: Yeah. I mean, I agree with Ron there totally. I think the default here needs to be to shareholder approval. I would rather have that option out there than not. And I think that what Apple needs to do, I think they're doing a lot of things well here. You have to remember that one hundred and thirty one or one hundred and thirty seven billion dollars, much it is now. Yep. I mean close to a hundred billion of that is actually offshore. So it's not necessarily the most accessible cash in the world, but I mean, I appreciate the fact that they've initiated a dividend. They're going to buy back shares. I think now is a pretty opportunistic time to take advantage of that. What I don't want to see them do is make an acquisition, uh, make an acquisition just for acquisition's sake. And they can learn, I think, from Microsoft's uh, example here through the years of of making big bad acquisitions. <laughs> are you saying Microsoft that, are not good capital <laughs> allocators? <laughs>
0: I'm just throwing it out there <laughs> but <dare> <laughs>
3: Don't they literally- I think that they they can learn a lesson from that and not making an acquisition just for acquisition's sake or just to grow. I like the deliberate pace there and so I think they uh, they keep doing what they're doing share buybacks and
0: dividends are a great start.
2: But they've literally just got two choices, right? Either a dividend, I mean a buyback, but a, either a dividend or buybacks or just a big dumb acquisition. It's kind of like one or the other.
0: I'd like a special dividend, so a that's nice that's- big uh-huh. chunk. Or a big smart acquisition.
1: Well, uh, part of that <laughs> press tough. part of that press release they I are. mentioned, Ron, uh, Apple did say that they were uh, they welcomed Einhorn's proposal. They welcome all <laughs> points of view. So maybe welcome yeah. like the. Photo, <laughs> they were, they were very diplomatic <laughs> yeah. about that. Yeah. Yeah, there's some State Department uh, right up until they start calling him there. a dissident. <laughs> <laughs> maybe they'll take your point of view as well. <laughs> right. Shares of LinkedIn up more than uh, up nearly 20% Friday morning. After fourth-quarter profit rose 66 percent, the business networking site added 15 million new members in the quarter. Ron, that is two two members. Per, quor- per per second. second. Yeah, I mean, they're still on that. Pace. They're doing a great
0: job. They're it's up amazing. to two hundred million users, which is actually great for them because what it means is that they can raise prices. So they're saying, "We're reaching so many people now. Sorry, folks, we're going to have to charge you just a bit more." Which is, hey, that's good for them. That's the way it works. Um, they're doing a great job putting up the numbers, continuing their streak of beating expectations every quarter since their um, IPO. Um, so they're putting up the numbers that they need to support that relatively lofty valuation. I think the company's doing a great job.
1: It is the thirteenth most visited website in the world, which I was astonished to discover when I heard wow. that stat. Um, how big is their moat? We talk about competitive advantages and, and businesses having a moat. Um, it, it would seem like on the surface anyone can attempt to just throw up this type of business, but the networking effect, Ron, it just seems like it's so powerful for them. It, it how big is the moat? They have first
0: mover advantage, and they have a network effect as a result of of, of getting up to two hundred million. Um, that is not an insurmountable moat. It is nice. Um, sometimes there are no other moats in businesses. Uh, they're doing a good job. They need to really continue to entrench themselves, so they are the uh, recruiting choice, uh, recruiting default of choice, um, and and they'll kind of increase the moat just a bit but nothing is forever. Yeah, they'd have a
2: stronger moat than Facebook, right? I mean, in the sense that, like, it's more—it's harder to, to, to bug your professional contacts again to recreate some whole new network. Correct.
0: Else. And I love it because there's three sources of revenue. Um, the most important one, which grew 90%, being the one from corporations who are looking to hire uh, people So versus just an ad model,
1: which they have too. But I like the, the other kinds of, uh, of revenue model better. A couple of restaurant stocks making headlines this week. Chipotle's fourth quarter profit up nearly 7%, uh, just barely below expectations. Panera's fourth quarter revenue up 15%, and same store sales up 5%. Jason, who do you think had the more impressive quarter of the two? That is a difficult answer there. But I do think probably, I would go with Chipotle. I
3: think the thing about Panera I like is they have such a a wide variety of options on the menu that they attract. I think a lot of people. Uh, you could go in there and buy just you know three dollars worth of coffee and bagels, or you can go in there and get a nice lunch. A Chipotle is a little bit more of a specialized uh, menu, in that you're going in there to get burritos or tacos, and it's a, typically a ten ten to twelve dollar ticket item. But I mean, they both had a really excellent quarters. With Chipotle, I think it was really interesting to see that they got out in front of this bus here about three weeks ago with the pre announcement, you know, stating that their food cost inflation was going to be a focus. Right. They expected uh, you know, low low single digit flat to low single digit comps. Uh, or same store sales, and so the stock immediately went from you know 297 that that day to to 280 dollars the following day, and I I didn't really see anything to be concerned with, so I, I thought maybe the shares would recover that price and then some by the time the earnings came out, and they did because it was a good quarter. They've done a really good job not only keeping their eyes on costs but they're improving the efficiency of the operation, their throughput. In other words, the people that they get through that line every hour, uh, they improve three transactions per hour at peak times during lunch and dinner, and and they improve the overall daily transactions by uh, more than 3% for the quarter and more than 5% for the year. So, they're getting more people in the stores. The shop house concept is playing out here. There is a lot of room for this company to grow. And it so is I think amazing it how to have like
2: quarter. 400 people in that line. You think, oh, this is going to take five hours, but they really move you through.
3: And the other thing they do well, I think, is because of the app. There, you can order your food ahead of time and go in there and pick it up and save yourself the hassle of waiting in line. So they just, again, they, it's that focus on efficiency, the focus on throughput, and really devoting all of their attention and the costs to the food at hand. And I think that's what brings people back for more.
1: What is the way to think about these two stocks? Are they both growth stocks? I, I tend to think of Chipotle as more of a growth stock, but is it, for investors who are looking at the restaurant universe. Are they both growth, or what do you think? I would say they
3: are, but I, I agree with you. I think that Chipotle has a better runway of growth ahead. Panera makes me a little bit nervous at this at this point with 1,600 stores because they have the competition out there in the form of Starbucks, and we know that Starbucks is really going to be upping their game in the food uh, realm of things here. But Chipotle really does offer something special that's proven out in just the Mexican concept. What they can do with the uh, the Asian concept is is going to be interesting to see. But I do I do think there is more upside potential there with Chipotle.
1: Disney's first quarter earnings fell 6%. Uh, Ron, usually when we talk about Disney it's the parks and the media networks that get the attention, but this quarter it seemed like it was the studio entertainment division which, frankly, just didn't have a good quarter at all
0: yeah um there's a few things going on. one ESPN which continues to do wonderfully, did have some increased costs for for some some rights to some sports um, which happens. That's part of the business um, that's going to take care of itself over time. It's going to show up an uh, in increased revenue, but you know it's it thinned out margins uh, also the the studio business was a bit weak um they had some missteps um the brave movie out on home video um they had cinderella out this time versus lion king last year so the comps were tough there overall the company's doing great i think the street is uh, impressed at the video game segment actually um it was profitable for the first time i was gonna say
1: first time ever
0: yeah, so that was really nice to see, and they had been signaling, you know, hey, give us some time; it's going to turn, and it seems like it has. Uh, we've got Star Wars coming in 2015. We'll see. Uh, oh, really? We'll see how that rings. I'm a little Are you a Star excited. Star Wars fan? I mean, I've seen them all. Hasn't you don't everyone? Sound like a fan. Yeah, yeah. I'm yeah. and I'll I'm see this one. I'll see this one. Uh, but the, it's a great company. It's it's just a blue chip, wonderful uh, American company, and it's doing a great job. I uh, keep
3: on feeling with with Disney going on the uh, the Star Wars standalone movies. You're going to have like. You know, our, our 21st century version of the Odd Couple with like Yoda and Boba Fett trying to make it work, you getting know? a place together, <laughs> something. Yeah, I mean, the early more about this. Interested to see how they carry that out.
1: Uh, shares of Disney were up 33 percent in 2012, and the stock hit a new all-time high this week. Uh, what do you think of the shares, Ron? Are they a little pricey? I no- notoriously recommend selling the stock too early.
0: Um, I, I really didn't see the growth that uh, that they, they continue to put up. So, um, is it going to knock the absolute cover off the ball? I don't think so. Is it a great company to hold in your portfolio forever? I think yes, maybe it is.
1: Coming up, a financial icon got a makeover this week, and we're not happy about the new look. <gasps> Details next. You're listening to Motley Fool Money.
4: Funny, 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 what
1: money can do. Welcome back to Motley Fool Money. Chris Hill here in studio with Jason Moser, James Early, and Ron Gross. Lower sales in China hurt Yum! Brand's fourth quarter earnings, and the company also lowered guidance for 2013. That's never a good combination of factors there, James. It does
2: not sound good, Chris. And obviously, Yum is Yama's actually more of a Chinese company than an American company by revenues. A lot of people don't realize that. And, and a little less than half its profits, but more, uh, more than half of its revenues come from China. So the issue, is, as, as many of us know, is excessive levels of antibiotics were, were found in, in the chicken. Yes. Um, you know, They could probably make a side business just taking everybody who's got some kind of a bacterial uh, infestation <laughs> and feeding them this chicken. Um. <laughs> but but obviously people have stepped away food food safety is a very touchy issue in China um, I, I don't know how the question, the unanswerable question, is, is how much longevity this sort of fear factor is going to have. You know, I tend to think these things blow over. It's still a long-term trusted American brand. It's been there for several decades. But but we'll have to see. One board member just bought a, a big chunk of
1: shares, which is a good sign. That's a good sign. Uh, David Novak, the CEO, in the statement uh, with the earnings did refer to quote the adverse publicity from the poultry supply situation. <laughs>
0: right. I mean, the comp sales are down six percent in China. I think you know that you're going to see that. But China remains. An extremely important place for Yum. I think they're going to open up 700 new stores uh, this year, um, which is not not small amount. Um, And I think you'll see those numbers turn.
2: I'll just. This is why I only. I don't eat fast food. I only eat organic, humanely raised animals for reasons like this. Well,
3: I do think we are in the middle of a shift here. I think fast food restaurants in the United States, the quick service restaurants, are having a little bit of a more difficult time. And I mean, it's not just Taco Bell and KFC, but McDonald's and Burger King and Wendy's. I think there's a bit more of a focus not only on the quality of the food, but the health of the food, the you know the the, the, the health benefits of the food. Uh, and so, you're seeing like your fast casuals like Panera and Chipotle and others succeed more. Uh, I don't know that, that these quick service rests I don't know they can really overcome that. They're trying to spend more to up their game to compete with those fast casuals, but the same store sales don't lie. They're down, and, and they're not really showing showing us the money.
2: And might you be a little biased, Jason? We just heard before we started taping that Jason had a very bad experience uh, with Kentucky Fried Chicken. I was going to say, dur- during <laughs> the
1: break, Jason was saying, not, not a big fan of the KFC. No. Um, <laughs> staying in China, Baidu's fourth quarter revenue rose more than 41% to just over $1 billion, and yet, Ron Gross Shares down more than ten percent this week.
0: Thirty-six percent increase in net they come <laughs> just ain't enough to get it done. Apparently, um, you know what can I tell you? Smallest increase since the first quarter of two thousand and nine. And investors in a stock like like Baidu or Google or Amazon or any of these traditional uh, high growth stocks don't like to see that, and and they pull out and they sell. Um, it doesn't really have anything to do with the long term health of this business. Clearly, the market leader. Um, they do have some things to work out. They got to figure out mobile. Who doesn't? Right, um, and they are they are doing some increased spending around that. There's some increased competition from ChiHu 360, but nevertheless, they are clearly the market leader. They do a great job. Um, they do have the moat there, and I, we think it's inexpensive.
1: The market share that they have is somewhere in the neighborhood of 75 percent of the search market in China. Is I look at that, and one question I have is how much higher can they go?
0: Probably no higher. <laughs> in fact, they perhaps could go lower, but I, even if, at 70%, it's still a fantastic business. The internet is still growing. Yeah, pretty
2: exactly. Fact.
1: The worst-kept secret on Wall Street was made official this week. Dell is being taken private in a $24.4 billion buyout, being financed by Michael Dell, the founder. Private equity and debt financing from some big investment banks, and also a $2 billion loan from the nice people at Microsoft. Um, Jason, as I said at the top of the show, this is the number one performing stock of the 1990s. If you bought at the beginning of the decade and sold at the end, you got a return of almost 92,000 oh percent. Does something like this say that they just can't hack the public markets anymore? <laughs> what does this move say to you?
3: I, I don't know. that I don't know
1: that, that. I mean, I think we've known for a while that they've been having trouble hacking the
3: public markets, and I think it's a great history lesson in that it's been a wonderful performer up to this up to this point. I, th- I think Dell actually might have been the first stock I ever owned. My dad gifted me some shares. Twenty years ago, at like forty-five uh, bucks, I promptly sold them and took the cash. But thankfully, I Ron didn't. still has <laughs> his. I feel still like have I cool. have a <laughs> proud owner at
0: thirty-six dollars a share. Uh, but I so. think
3: that what we're seeing with this is this is going to at least give the company a chance to get out of the public eye and try to get their house in order. The thing about hardware and tech is when you're the king of the hill, there's always someone trying to knock you off. And Dell has been suffering from this with with everything that we've seen from Microsoft and now Apple and Google and everyone else out there is trying to take part in this game. Uh, but you know, Best Buy I think is another example of a company that is trying to to maybe take this route as well, because their their business model is not as applicable as it once was, and as well as the stock did for a number of people years ago, it's not going to do the same thing going forward. So, getting out of that public eye will give management the opportunity to get their house in order without the
1: scrutiny of us on this radio show every week and market for every <laughs> day getting them a hard time. Um, just real quick, if you own PC stocks, whether it's HP or someone else, or tech hardware, is this a warning? I think, it's
3: a, I think it's a shot across the bow. Yeah, I think it's just another sign of the difficulty in this, in this line of work in that when you are the king of the hill, when you're on your game, there's always someone up there, someone just trying to, trying to knock you right off.
1: Activision Blizzard's fourth quarter earnings came in higher than expected. The video game maker also raised guidance on first quarter profits. Ron, shares were up more than 7% Friday morning.
0: Finally, Chris, some (laughs) recognition from the markets. Activision, you know, it never goes anywhere despite putting up great numbers. It's
1: been in this range of 10 to $12 $12
0: yeah, dollars so a share it, it, for the, a year now. It's great to see it over 13 finally. <laughs> this is the best performance in its history. Record operating margins. I think um, the street really likes some comments they said about what they may do with their $4 billion worth of cash in the sense of returning it uh, to shareholders in, in some form. I got a little nervous when I saw some acquisition comments and, and things like that. But overall, great numbers. They're thinking about their capital allocation strategy. Um, and their franchises continue to do great. So, things are looking very nicely.
1: And finally this week, Hasbro announced a new game piece for the board game Monopoly. Uh, They had asked people to vote online, and the five choices for the new game token were helicopter, diamond ring, robot, guitar, and cat. And unfortunately, the people have spoken, and they picked the cat, which I guess because there's a, a game token that's a little dog, maybe that was sort of the opposite. I really thought they would have gone like helicopter or robot. but So much cooler. It is so much cooler. Um, are, you, are you not a cat person, Chris? I'm not a cat person. I'm is. really okay.
0: allergic, so I guess I, I can't didn't play, play Monopoly that. anymore. Um,
1: the, the, the piece of the story that I like the most is that in addition to selecting a new piece, they had to essentially boot one of the old pieces. Um, The iron uh, got kicked out of the game. But there's a company in Pennsylvania called Ames True Temper. It's a subsidiary of Griffin Corp. They make 80% of the wheelbarrows that are sold in the United States. So, they started an online petition to essentially save the wheelbarrow. Genius. That is genius. very smart. Shout out. I hope someone's getting a raise over at Ames True Temper. (laughs) All right, Jason Moser, James Early, Ron Gross. Guys, we'll see you a little later in the show. Coming up, we're going to take a look at global investing with Bill Mann from Motley Fool Asset Management. Stay right here. You're listening to Motley Fool Money. Money, Welcome back to Motley Fool Money. I'm Chris Hill. To kick off 2013, the Dow index rose nearly 6% in the first month, the best performance in January since 1994. Here to share some perspective on that and other investing topics is Bill Mann, the Portfolio Manager at Motley Fool Asset Management, in studio now. Good to see you, my friend. Good to see you, Chris. How are you? I'm good. What do you make of that? Let's start with the Dow popping nearly 6% in January. As a longtime investor, do you get excited about something like that? Does it make you nervous? Well, it kind of depends. I mean, for for me, it's actually what 's happened in January is
4: kind of a reasonable outcome because if you recall in December, everyone thought that the world was going to end with the fiscal cliff fiscal cliff and we were we were we, we, we were all going down that highway together, so there was some latent buying pressure but what 's really interesting to me, and I guess in you know in, in in our world in the fund industry, is that January has also been the best month for fund investments. So people putting money into funds. The most money has poured into the mutual fund industry since March of 2000. Now March of 2000 was kind of a
1: interesting month because that was the very end I was going to say. Yeah. That was the very end right before the tech bubble started to we, explode. Right.
4: That money that money got set on fire very quickly you know, very quickly thereafter because so much of that money I know you were you were around then and you were watching the markets sure. and I was involved as well. All of that money was going into telecom companies, and into tech companies, and so on. And basically, that money got just debacled. I mean, that money was set on fire. Uh, so you look at now, and you wonder about what's happened in between. Well, we've had some really interesting times in between, and we've had some really interesting opportunities to buy, you know, to, to buy stocks in between at, at prices and at values much below where we are now. And yet, during those periods of time, people were rushing out of the market, or were sticking their money under in the mattresses, or into the gold market, or into into bonds. So, it just always it, it's always interesting to me that just how powerful fear and greed are. Because now it really feels like the train is leaving, and people are pouring money into the market again.
1: Do you think the market in general is? overinflated and stocks are at a premium right now or there's still bargains out there there
4: are bargains out there I, I would say in general the places where a lot of people are looking uh are probably pretty you know pretty pretty well valued um a lot of the small cap companies are you know especially domestically you're having a very having a very hard time finding things a lot of the international markets you were talking about the dow specifically but a lot of the international markets especially the emerging market companies Countries; those stock markets have gone absolutely crazy. Where people are looking for yield, they're looking for returns. They're not finding it in Europe. They want you know they want allocations, uh, you know, overseas. And so, uh, so a lot of markets have gone crazy. So it's a lot harder. Uh, But underlying all of this, it's not like in two thousand when where so few people were afraid. People are still afraid. You know the 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 bond market and the gold prices are still very high. Those are, they're still very much a fear trade on. So I, I, I'm I, I'm not convinced that we're done.
1: Let's uh, start here in the U S. because I know that part of your por- portfolio is domestic. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I think there are a lot of people who are looking at housing, in particular, as one industry that is probably poised for a good 2013. Yeah. Where are you and your team looking, and it, whether it's housing or elsewhere, when it comes to U S. Companies and industries.
4: Yeah, so housing was an area where we've spent a lot of time in 2011 and 2012, um, back when nobody was looking at housing, and we, we weren't really focusing on the home builders because I think a lot of the a lot of the issues, particularly with the banks, particularly with lending, haven't really turned them you know haven't really turned themselves around. Uh, but the home builders have responded as if they as if they have. Uh, so, the home builders were not we 're not that interested in the supplier companies have have been ones that have been very interesting to us and then oddly enough, you know the one trade that worked in two thousand and eleven and two thousand and twelve domestically was apple you really know? i mean yeah you 've heard about this i 've heard of that. it 's a computer company <laughs> they make they make computer gadgets. Quite successfully, uh, <laughs> quite successfully. It's one of the most remarkable companies out there. But it's suddenly, suddenly, a- Apple has gone from doing no wrong to doing no right. So that's an area that's really interesting for us as well.
1: Let's stick with Apple for a second because I think, particularly in the wake of, because their, we never get to talk about, we Apple, never get to, right? but particularly in the wake of their latest quarter, um, I, I know that, uh, and we'll talk more about this in a moment. But but as part of your focus is domestic. Part of it is also global. And when Mm -hmm. you look at the global smartphone market and Apple's competition, particularly from the likes of Samsung, uh, what do you make of that?
4: It's a a Lord of the Flies market. I mean, a lot of people tend to think of Apple's products as being somehow – almost religious, you know, the and and, and in two thousand and twelve you've really kind of seen that come to an end. I thought Samsung's ad campaigns that sort of made Apple look like the dowdy, you know, old stayed, you know, the thing that your grandmother had, you mm-hmm. know, uh, those brilliant ads. And, and and that's happened that's happened in a lot of places. In China, the iPhone, for example, has never really gotten the same traction as being, you know, a a fashion element that, you know, that it has here in the US and in Europe. So that market is going to remain pretty, um, pretty tough. You know, I, 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 I think that it is it is very true that, uh, you know, that that Apple has lost a little bit of its of its mystique. But ultimately for us, I mean, you're looking at a company that has, you know, it, multiple commas in its cash balance, Uh, You know, in the in in the hundreds of billions of dollars in cash by itself. So Apple doesn't have to be the the, be the same remarkable growth company for it to do okay from here. You know, you look at the cash, you look at just how, you know, how their margins are. And their margins of their margins actually dropped a little bit this this last quarter. But even if you decline them a little bit, Apple's going to do okay. just so they don't try and recapture the magic of when they went from, you know, six dollars to
1: seven hundred, because those days are gone. You're listening to Motley Fool Money, talking with Bill Mann, Portfolio Manager at Motley Fool Asset Management. As I said, part of your portfolio is focused globally. What markets are you looking at? I know you recently had a trip to Nigeria, which I think when the average investor thinks about emerging markets, (laughs) Nigeria is probably not in the top five.
4: Maybe not. And and in fact, Nigeria Nigeria is a really interesting country, and and, and it was a remarkable trip for us. So Nigeria has grown at 7% per year over the last decade. And they've done it in areas where you might not think, you think of Nigeria and, you know, to be frank, you really think about two things. One, you think about email scams. Yes. And two, you think about oil, and, you know, and maybe their third business would be corruption. You know, so none of those are really great, you know, really interesting business. Tough owners. to invest in email
1: scams and corruption. Right,
4: right. I, I, although I probably would be interested in a publicly traded email scam company. So, probably would do well. Yeah. It, if there's any listeners out there who have a, you know, have a line on a, uh, <laughs> please send an email to yeah, radio at
1: full.com.
4: <laughs> but Nigeria has what is now a 30 million person middle class. You know, and middle class in Africa is just defined a little bit differently. That's having $2 in discretionary income per day. Uh, it's growing very rapidly. They've got some good consumer brands. A lot of their consumer brands are subsidiaries of European and American companies. Uh, you know Guinness Nigeria for example is owned by Diageo so their management is all european they you know they uh they, they have they have good local nigerian managers but then ultimately they're held to standards that are way beyond that what you, what what you would find in a lot of developing markets and so the consumers in places like Nigeria, in places like South Africa, I mean, these are places that are really, really interesting to us. And we're patient. You know, I think the really interesting thing to me about Nigeria is that when we went, we kind of felt like we were going to get off the plane and the local brokers who we were working with were going to be happy to see us. But it's not true. The local brokers were tired of <laughs> international investors coming in and having them, you know, having them take them around. But so it was a fascinating trip for me. Um, you know, a lot of people have gotten, you know, gotten very wary of Russia, for example, which is still, you know, it's a kleptocratic, you know, society. You know, the markets are are, are crooked. Uh, China, you've had, a, you know, an enormous number of issues. So people are going to look at places like Nigeria. It's the 10th largest country in the world by population. And, you know, within the end of the decade should be the largest market in Africa.
1: There's also, with respect to China, uh, something of a slowdown going on. We saw that with Yum yeah. Brands. Uh, most recent results. That was some slowdown. It was <laughs> some slowdown. Um, d- uh, what do you think that means for the average investor in the United States? And to what extent, if any, does the slowdown in China, has it made you change your investment approach? So I, I, I think that the ch- it's a really interesting question. So I'll
4: try and answer this without taking 15 minutes. But uh, so, <laughs> Please do. We're going to have a commercial break coming up. So uh, China... China has been the manufacturing base for the world for about a decade. But China, one of the reasons that they, you know, that that their policies have been structured in the way they have been was really to bring in, you know, to raise the level of income for, you know, for for, for Chinese people, you know, for and so they've been very systematic about this. But what's happened in China is that the income levels and the and and the the salary levels have gone up so much that that China is no longer the low-cost place to to produce. And there's You know, there's marginal costs and then there, you know, and, 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 you know, to produce and then there's the absolute cost. And so places like Vietnam and Bangladesh uh, and even Nigeria have become cheaper to manufacture. And so what you're seeing is a little bit of a shift out of China and it's healthy. So we're actually very interested in certain consumer names that are in China. um, But the manufacturing and the manufacturing is not going away from China. And the country really needs their, uh, Uh, their rate of growth to continue because there are 1.6 billion Chinese and not that many of them have been lifted out of poverty yet as a percentage of the population. So their growth rate will will continue to be far beyond what you can find in the U.S. and in Europe and other developing markets. But it's not going to be Reliably double digit going forward. So, I mean, it's a healthier market
1: in some ways. I I think one of the concerns and we certainly talked about it before on this show when you're looking at companies that are based in China is just the whole notion of trustworthiness. To what extent can we trust the management, the numbers on the balance sheet, that sort of thing. In your time, and it's and you've had a long time to study yeah. business in China, are there companies that stand out in terms of their track record for trustworthiness? Uh, it's a great question.
4: Yeah, so I've been in China, I've been working in China off and on since ninety eight. One of the issues in China is not only that the companies themselves uh, you know put a low priority on, you know good, bookkeeping or good reporting is that the government's kind of in on it too. So you had a you, you had a number of companies that, you know, in in the you know, 2006, 2007 that were Chinese that listed it in the United States and then were found to be frauds and so then the Chinese government made their local financials unavailable to foreign investors anymore. So that's troubling. That you know that is that is really troubling. That's so, one way
1: around the problem.
4: Right. And and I think it's ultimately extremely destructive for China because the easiest solution is to say, well, Forget it. I'll just invest elsewhere. I mean, that's why people are, you know, I probably shouldn't have been so surprised that people were looking at a place like Nigeria because China is so bad. They got to look somewhere else. So, I mean, as you know, as 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 bad of a reputation as as Nigeria has, they're reforming in the other direction. So, I mean, for me, there are there are very good companies in China. Uh, there are very good companies that, that tend to have Hong Kong-based management or or Western-educated management. We are still very fond of Baidu, although they've had, a very, they've had a very hard time over the last six months or so. I think, ultimately, that's a very good company run in a very honest
1: fashion. You're listening to Motley Fool Money, talking with Bill Mann, the Portfolio Manager at Motley Fool Asset Management. Uh, you can read his monthly column, Declarations. Uh, you can sign up for it. It's a free email. Just go to foolfunds.com dot com. Uh, I was on the Fool Funds website, uh, and and one of the things that stood out to me when I was looking over, you guys disclosed not only your top holdings, but also now all of the holdings. But one of the things that caught my attention was the degree to which financials as a category are a part of your portfolio. It was frankly uh, a surprisingly high did you find it shocking it wasn't shocking <laughs> but i just it was a it, you know somewhere in the neighborhood of 20 to 25% yeah and th- what surprised me was i guess just how high that was because typically i think of financials and i automatically think in terms of the big wall street banks right. which despite the fact that some of them at varying points over the last few years have been good stock investments yeah from a transparency standpoint, it's hard. It's really hard, it's hard, and that's ultimately the main reason I just avoid them completely. Why yeah. are financials a big part of your portfolio?
4: Well, so you really touched on two things. One is that what we've started doing, and we started doing this last month, is that at full Funds, we do release our full list of holdings every month, a few days after the end of the month. And the reason that we do that is that we feel like our shareholders ought to know what they are investing in because ultimately a fund can't do any better than its holdings. So we really want people to know. But if you look at our holdings, you'll that see. Sounds that
1: sounds like a radical notion. Is that I it? Mean, is radical? But yeah. here is my ignorance of the fund industry. Is that actually a radical notion? It what? is
4: radical. It, it is. It, it, <laughs> I mean, it's it. It's baffling to me that it is so. But je- with most fund companies, you can find out really instantly what their big holdings are. Uh, but but over, not everything. But not everything no it's it's just not the case I mean there are a few fun- companies that do it, and we you know i can't i can 't take credit for having come up with the idea there's a wonderful asset management company out of Ohio called Diamond hill and when one of our one, uh, when Tim Hansen one of our analysts, sat down with them, they said yeah this is this is why we do it. We want people to know and we said that's a great idea we great. should be that way too. The Motley Fool as a company believes in this sort of thing, so the Motley Fools you know mutual fund arm the fool fund should operate in this way so when you look through our holdings you will notice yes there are there there are a rather large number of financial companies you will also notice that there are very few banks and so, a lot of people tend to think of banks as being financial companies, but insurance companies are also financial companies. And a lot of asset managers are considered to be financial companies, like Diamond Hill, but also companies that are some of the best companies in the world, some of the great, you know, compounding machines of all time, like Berkshire Hathaway and Markel, uh, Brookfield Asset Management. And these are companies that we hold, and they're not—they're not in the banking industry. I mean, they're not out there trying to, you know, trying to get the. Get the mortgage industry back you know back on its feet they're not worried about that they are they are investors in the ways that that, that we think that people should invest, but they do get characterized as uh, financials um, but we've stayed away from we we, we don't tend to worry about what our benchmarks look like I mean it's it, 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 in the fund industry everybody's put up against a benchmark and the way a lot of fund companies work is they say well I'm gonna so I'm supposed to be invested my benchmark is in 23 percent in European banks so therefore 23 percent of my portfolio should also be European banks and where I'm gonna add value is picking the right banks we have no exposure to European banks not not direct exposure in any of our portfolios just because we haven't found anything that we interested in. And, you know, through December and January, that's really hurt us. But I think longer term, you know, having a no strangers in your portfolio policy is a little bit better for us. And, and and uh, you know, it's just it's the way that we're more comfortable operating.
1: You can read more from Bill Mann at FoolFunds.com. He's the portfolio manager at Motley Fool Asset Management. Thanks for being here. It's really good to see you, Chris. Coming up, we'll give you an inside look at the stocks on our radar. You're listening to Motley Fool Money. As always, people on the program may have interest in the stocks they talk about, and The Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against, so don't buy or sell stocks based solely on what you hear. I'm Chris Hill joining me in studio once again Jason Moser James Early and Ron Gross guys it is that time once again time for the stocks that are on our radar Ron Gross you're up first what what do you got I'm
0: going back to the well with this microcap company called Ampco Pittsburgh ticker okay.
1: symbol AP
0: a microcap manufacturer of forge hardened steel rolls think of uh rolling pins kind of that they use to roll out steel okay. uh, they make the rolling pins uh the company reported Fourth quarter results better than my model anticipated. Um, the stock is 1750 now. I think it's worth 30 once the 30 st- 30 once the steel cycle firms up a bit. So you, there might be a wait here, but it's incredibly undervalued.
2: It'll firm up sooner or
1: later.
0: Thank you. How yeah, it's
3: much the correlation <laughs> there your with math. The steel and his Man of Steel cufflinks? Uh, you,
1: if Ron, Ron is rocking the, you know, the Superman, Superman cufflinks they're like, today, they're kind of large. Um, just quickly, what kind of time frame are you talking?
0: It's hard to, to predict cycles, so let's say within two years.
2: Okay. James Early, what's your stock? Uh, Chris, you've planted the Hasbro seed in my mind, so I'll go with that. This has been a bit of a turd on the II Scorecard, it's not been that great. <laughs> that's more of my timing, n- not the not the company. I do like it long-term, and it just raises dividend 11%, which, you know, when you see that, it, I kind of
1: lose all, all reason and rationality, <laughs> so I like Hasbro. You're that cool. And H-A-S. H-A-S. H-A-S, ticker symbol. All right, Jason Moser, what's your stock? I think I'm feeling the nostalgia
3: from having lunch over at the shop house uh, yesterday, but I I like Chipotle where it stands right now. I think uh, after reading through what this quarter was like, I think this is a company that still has a lot of growth ahead. Uh, Again, I had mentioned the throughput before, but what I also think is really interesting is that you know you're looking at a company right now that's trading around 30 times forward earnings. The last time that's a reasonable reasonable price when you compare it to its peers for a long time it's been uh, 55 times or so. The last time it traded in this range was back in 2009 when they were forecasting flat to low single digit comps and we saw that whole year play out that way. I think this is uh, this is a good time to be looking at the stock.
1: All right, guys, thanks for being here. That's yeah, going to do Chris. it for this edition of Motley Fool Money. Our engineer is Steve Brody. Our producer is Matt Greer. I'm Chris Hill. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next week.